Good evening, everybody. Like Joel said, my name is Dalton, and uh, I am a worship leader here at Veritas Church. And I have been for about six years now, and I feel like that's worth mentioning because I was working on a roof the other day with Mikey, and this is a bunch of high schoolers that are helping us out, and we are, uh, the roof is done. Thank you. It looks great. So we're working in these high schoolers, and like, so do you go here? I was like, oh, no, dude, I graduated in 2011. And he's like, oh, so you go to college? And I'm like, yeah, and I graduated that in 2015. <laughs> and then he plays with this kid that I'm like 10 years older than him. And the reason that I mention this is because the title of the sermon tonight is Advice for Soon-to-be Adults. You guys are soon-to-be adults. So I wanted to start by confronting the notion that I am, in fact, not a high schooler, nor am I a college student, but I am actually an adult. I'm 28. I have a wife. I have a life insurance policy. <laughs> An escrow with my mortgage uh, and a 403B retirement savings, which is very similar to a 401k and slightly similar to a pension plan. And actually, do you guys know the difference between pensions, 403Bs, 401ks? Dom, I know Traditional set Roth IRAs, you guys. You guys know? Okay, no! Because you guys aren't at that stage of your life yet. Because you guys, you guys have like, you guys have jobs, you give a little bit, you save a little bit, you spend the rest of the money that you make on eating out. Okay, and when you graduate, instead of spending all your money on whatever you want, you just spend hundreds, hundreds of dollars every month on a mortgage, which is actually really sweet. Life insurance, something you hope you never have to cash in on, and then just basic savings for like 40 years from now. So, growing up is incredible, guys. Tonight, I have some awesome advice for all of you, soon to be adults. Okay, so, so we're just gonna dive right in. Point number one. This is actually for the ladies exclusively. So, if you don't know what to get your boyfriend or husband for Christmas or for their birthday, just get them any. DeWalt tool. <laughs> okay, go to Tyson's, they have the entire aisle. Just grab anything. And you guys can see that black and yellow box, and it's like instant, massive invalidation. Okay, that's wonderful. It's the advice for soon to be adults. Come on. Number two, for the guys, if and when you get married, your wedding anniversary is a way bigger deal than you think it is. <laughs> like, I know you thought going out to dinner was a good idea. No. Here's what you need to do. You need to recreate the entire wedding. You better have frozen a piece of your cake, and you need to say your vows all, all over again. Some prices the night looking at your wedding pictures. That's a wedding anniversary. Going out to dinner is like date night. <laughs> so, I'm just joking around. That you don't actually have to do that. That is um, a, a very big exaggeration. But anyway, I'm 28. The anniversaries are very important. Do all the tools are dope. And tonight, we're going to be talking about actual advice for soon to be adults. Because a lot of advice that we hear from our culture is grow up, get a job, pay your bills, save for time, work hard. Those things are great. But that's not all there is to growing up. And so what John wants to remind us tonight is that there's something a little bit more central to our nature that we need to know as we grow up. And it has to do with our core. 
It has to do with who we are, and it has to do with who we belong to. And that advice is this. You can actually write this down. To never forget that we are children of God. To never forget that we're children of God. There's this quote that I love by a guy named Jack Packer. His book is right out there, and it's the green book called Knowing God. And listen to this, this quote that he says. He says, you sum up the whole entire New Testament if you describe it as the knowledge of God as one's father. And if you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much they make of being God's child and having him as their father. Because no matter how old you get, we're never forget that we are children of God. That is everything, guys. Being a child of God is everything. And at first, when we listen to this, it doesn't sound like super helpful advice, okay? But this advice is actually so loaded with meaning, and we're going to spend the majority of our time unpacking this tonight. And we're going to be looking at three ways that we can enjoy being children of God. So let's open our Bibles together. We're going to be in 1 John, you guys are probably already there, chapter 2, verse 28, is where we'll start. And it says this, it says, okay. And now, little children, abide in me. And I feel like I do this every time I preach, I read one line. Wait, stop, wait. Stop right here, it's been a horse that I'm unpacking it. But guys, think about this. John is giving the readers, and us included, this image of a little child. That is what we are to work out is little children, loved little children, and we are to abide in him. So here is the first legitimate point, the first way we start to enjoy being a child of God, and it's this, to abide. Okay, write that down. Children, abide. You guys know what it means to abide in Christ. The first thing you guys probably think is reading your Bibles and praying. And is that abiding? Yes, absolutely, yes. absolutely it is. Now, also, though, is abiding a little bit more than that? Yes. Yes, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely it is. Um, because here's why. Abiding means to be continually present, okay? To abide means to be continually present. So as Christians, we're to be continually present with Christ. And so I was thinking about this, and I was like, Wait a minute, that, that's totally my favorite part about being in a relationship with someone is the abiding, the continual presence, the, the remaining with someone, and the relational unity that comes with that. You guys know what I'm talking about? It's the whole, yeah, you know, you're friends with someone when you can just sit alone in silence together. That's actually totally true. That's completely accurate. Or for me, it's sitting at uh, a baseball game with one of my best friends enjoying the sounds of the ballpark. Our sporadic conversations about Bitcoin. <laughs> you guys know what I'm talking about. <laughs> it's sitting on the couch with my wife while I'm researching something online, and she's watching TikToks, and we're sharing enjoyable time with each other. And it's like laying around all afternoon after a great meal with your brothers and, and uh, your sisters in law at your parents' house, and just enjoying existing next to someone. No words. Just enjoying each other's company. You're totally occupied, but you're completely available. And it speaks to a deep, deep relational unity. And that unity doesn't come from just sitting down across the table from one another and having coffee or having dinner and interviewing someone. It comes from a life that is cognizant of that person's presence and their existence. So living your life with them in mind, 
Because you could go to church every Sunday and you could be a terrible person for the rest of the week and we'll just say that a person abides with Christ. No, absolutely not. You can say they just go to church. Or you can memorize scripture every hour of the day. But again, if you're a terrible person, you're not abiding with Christ while you're memorizing scripture. Guys, I kid you not, there was this guy in my high school, he was like the literal, like he was like ranked or something best at scripture memorization. He knew so much of the Bible. And he's not a Christian. And that is such a sad thing that we can do all of these things for God and yet completely miss the point. And so it is with us. We shouldn't just read our Bibles every morning. We should abide with God every morning. We shouldn't just go to church, sing songs, listen to preaching. We should abide with God while we're at church and abide with God every day. There's no formula for this either. It's simply being aware of God's presence and his involvement in your life and just enjoying that. Enjoy being next to God. It's not about what you're doing, but it's about enjoying God while you're doing it. So I just want to park here a minute and say, if you think abiding is just kind of like a simple 10-minute quiet time every morning where you read and then you pray, you're thinking about it in a really, really, really narrow sense because this word is not about checking something off every morning or on a Sunday. It's about a whole entire lifestyle. Okay, it's about maintaining a relational proximity to your Savior who desires to be close to you as well. It's about sporadic prayers during the day. It's about responding to conviction when you're tempted in ways that are contrary to what we know the Bible says. It's about seeing the gospel story in every story, studying scripture, self-denial, giving your money. It's about emulating the life of Christ, the person who we now stand next to, and he stands by our side. So consider this. The Bible makes something abundantly clear. Is that God is a loving Father, and He gave up His Son willingly. He died to save us, and now His Holy Spirit lives inside of us. And because of that, we can be sure of this one thing. And that one thing is that God desires to be with you. He desires to be beside you. Chapter three, verse one. It says, "See what kind of love the Father has given us, that we should be called children of God." And so we are. And this, it's all company, is the miracle of the gospel, that God loves us, and that he calls us his children, and that we're actually his children. This is not like some of your fathers who have shown you so few expressions of love in your life that if they just told you, I love you, you just fall. And this isn't like some of your fathers who, even though you're their child, you always felt like you wanted more. Maybe they were distant, and you always knew that there was there had to be something better out there. This father is not like anything you know. Even if you have the world's best dad, he's a mere shadow of how perfect our heavenly father is. And this heavenly father, he continues to love us, and he continues to call us his child, no matter what. We'll never be otherwise. Once we have been called a child of God, you are in the family of God, period. And this father desires to be close to us. And proof of that is the death of Jesus Christ. He wants nothing more than for you to come and to receive him and to be near to him. So Christians, 
We should abide in him. He longs to be next to us, and our soul longs to be satisfied with him. Jesus is the only source of that satisfaction. So the first way that we can enjoy being a child of God is by Let's keep reading. Verse 2 says, Beloved, we are now God's children, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. And so John is saying here, remember guys, you are God's child. And also, there's this other thing that you need to remember. And it's that what you are going to be when Christ returns does not compare to what we see and feel right now. And we also don't technically know what that's going to be. But here's what we do know. We will be like him. And John tells us to hope in this. And then hoping in this actually purifies us as well. This is a promise that as Christians, we should regular, regularly cling to. That there will be a day when we no longer desire to sin at all. There will be a day where we no longer desire to act contrary to what God asks us to do. No stress, no pain, no sadness. Can you imagine how that will feel? Can you imagine having all of that lifted off your shoulders? You know, imagine the most difficult thing that's going on in your life right now. Then multiply by thousands, sorry, but just do it. And then just imagine it. Leaving in an instant, just like that. Like, can you imagine the relief you would feel? How incredible that would be. And this is just a glimpse of what it will be like when we step into Jesus' presence, the peace and the contentment that we'll feel. Or uh, consider this when I was in high school, I used to work at a greenhouse. Anybody work at a greenhouse in high school? I'm literally the only person working at a greenhouse. <laughs> Great job, I enjoyed it. And you guys know what a greenhouse is. One essential greenhouse, it's like a long uh, semi-circle thing. It's got a tarp over the top. There's a big fan in the back. Okay, you know what greenhouses do though, right? They trap heat inside of them. And in the summer, when I was working there, it was so hot. So I started to do this Thing. I would go to the empty greenhouses where there's no flowers and the fans are turned off and everything. And I would start walking all the way to the to the back of these greenhouses. And the further I got away from the door, every breath became harder and harder and harder to breathe. Because the July sun is just beating down on these greenhouses all day, every day. There's no breeze. And by the time you make it all the way to the back, you're just I'm dead serious. You're just lightheaded. <laughs> and I would, it was also kind of, I was doing this also kind of because I was like bored, so it's kind of like fun to just like, it's like, this is a break, this constitutes a break. Because you're just, yeah, you're just, yeah, you're just sitting there watching flowers. It's so boring. <laughs> but it's a great job. But here's the main reason, here's the main reason why I would do it. Not just to kind of change things up. The main reason is, is because by the time I would get back down to the, to the other end, I'd walk through the door, out into the 100 degree, degree temperature, it was the best feeling ever. Dead serious. 
It was incredible. These greenhouses were so unimaginably hot and stale and humid that they made a summer Iowa day, a hot summer Iowa day, feel like air conditioning. It was crazy. Okay, the comparison was wild. I used to do this for fun because it felt so good to have this sense of relief. Can you imagine what it's going to be like to step in Jesus' presence? What the feeling, the, the actual feeling would be like. It's going to be incredible, guys. And I do not think about this near as much as I should. And I'm going to guess that you guys don't either. But there is actually something really exciting for us to think about when I get into Jesus' presence. Things are going to be different, and things are going to be incredible. The peace and the joy and the contentment that we get when by the Spirit's power, we choose not to sin here on earth, it's incredible. But what will it feel like to never desire sin ever again, to never be tempted ever again in your whole life, to be completely righteous and be completely like Him? We have no idea how great that feeling is going to be. And the Bible promises us this. And we're to fix our hope on this, our union with Christ, both being with Him and being like Him. And, okay, so we all know what hope is, but I just want to take a second to say, hope is not just a feeling. We're, we don't just feel hopeful. Hopeful is kind of like the word love. You guys know how we use the word love to say, like, I love somebody, but it's also kind of an action or a verb. Well, hope is the same way, too. It's a virtue. It's actually a virtue of Christianity. It's something that we should practice every day to make sure we are actively hoping in the right thing. Because we all know how easily our hope wanders. And there's this word that I think captures hope really, really, really well. And that word is anticipation. Anticipation. What are you looking forward to in the future? What are you excited about in the future? And you know who anticipates better than anybody else, it's children. And generally, us as adults, we are not that great at it. So here's the next way that we see in this text that we can enjoy being children of God, is by anticipating, okay? Children anticipate. So do I really need to give an illustration about children anticipating to, to get the point across? Yeah. You <laughs> well, unfortunately, I didn't think of one, so I can't help with one. Because what I was going to say is, it's just, it's so, it's everywhere. Christmases, holidays, birthdays, summer vacations, swimming pools, dad coming home. Kids are always looking forward to stuff. And when you grow up and you mature, the holidays become difficult or stressful. <laughs> <laughs> Christmas is awesome. Hard all of a sudden. Well, here's what happens as you get older, anticipation becomes a little less natural for us because we take on more responsibilities in our life. Our responsibilities start to drown out our childlikeness, our hope, our anticipation. But in this text, we have this encouragement toward hope and towards anticipation. And we see this repeatedly in this, this text little children. And so we have to stop and remember that Jesus desires us to have a childlike faith. And part of that childlikeness is to eagerly await the day when we will, oh gosh, I just lost my place. <laughs> when we will be beside him. 
That is what we are eagerly awaiting, the day that we'll be beside him. And this hope must be the foundation of our belief in God, guys, that Jesus is coming back, and it will literally, we use that word a lot in our society, but I'm saying it's definitely worthy of being used here. It will literally be the best day ever when Jesus returns. And so here's how we can apply this part of the text. Just remember that from time to time, on occasion, that when he appears, you will be like him. And when times get tough for you, remember that suffering ultimately will meet its end. And that that is real life. That's not just wishful thinking. Jesus will return and restore all things. And that day is coming soon. When you have got a care in the world, remember that your satisfaction is going to be multiplied beyond everything that you're experiencing now when Jesus comes back. And that your current station is a gift. And it's also a reminder. So don't let that truth ever get too far out of reach. That we will be like him and that we will see him how he is. So let's finish up by looking at these last verses. Verses 4 and 10. And this portion of the text is pretty pretty. In my opinion, it's also very easily misunderstood. So instead of just reading those verses, I'm going to actually grab a handful of them and summarize what John is and is not saying. So we've got these verses. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen or known him. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. No one born of God makes practice of sinning. And finally, by this, it's evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. Okay, let me try and combine all of these into one teaching point. And it's this song company. God's children are not careless about sin. So this is not to say, okay, this is how you apply a sermon. Go start caring more. Ready to This is to say, you're no longer a slave to your sin, Saul Company. You are not enslaved to sin. You can obey by the power of Christ that lives in you, and you will love it. Obedience is incredible. And if you're in Christ, you've experienced how wonderful this is. The joy of obedience, how good it feels to be in right relationship with God to do as he asks, and experience the benefits, to struggle yet succeed when it gets really tough. Obedience is a discipline, but obedience is also a delight. And this is the final way that we can enjoy being God's children from this text, and it's by obey. So children obey. So picture this, you've got two kids, let's say they're about five years old, and the first kid gets whatever he wants, whenever he wants, never has to obey because he's never told what to do and therefore he never gets in much trouble either and you're probably like what kind of a kid is that okay here, here's the type of kid his parents are super rich and they work all the time and they're not super involved and at the end of the day he gets to do whatever he wants though so who cares right okay second kid doesn't get to do whatever he wants his parents ask him to do things he doesn't want to do and he often receives no's when he asks for things, but he occasionally gets some good gifts, you know, Christmas and birthdays, stuff like that, but it's because of this. His parents love him very dearly, 
and know better than he does. And they desire to see him happy and flourishing. So they're very involved. Because of these two families, one kid has to obey, and one kid doesn't have to obey. So here's the question, which one of those kids is actually happier? It's the second kid, the kid who has to obey his parents. But we, as adults, actually have a different perspective on this. And this is a perspective that I would say, that kid gets to obey his parents. Their discipline in his life is actually a blessing. The rules, the structure, the obedience that it requires of him, it leads to his flourishing. And so it is for us, as children of God, we get to obey our all-knowing all-wise Father. We have the privilege to follow such a trustworthy God. There's so much joy in obedience in Saul Company. I am promising you that because that is what the Bible promises us. Your obedience will only lead you closer to the Lord, and the closer you are to the Lord, the more satisfaction you will have. So just for a little clarification, though, uh, to those of you who are a little bit confused by these verses, because you're like, well, I keep on doing the same sins. And I keep running back to the same thing. It seems like I haven't made much progress in dealing with this. And to those of you that are thinking that, and to those of you that are feeling that, just hang in there. Don't stop fighting the good fight. These verses don't mean that if you continue to commit the same sins over and over again, you're not going to wish. That's not what those, these verses mean. They mean if you don't care about sinning, you're probably not a Christian. Because Christians are concerned with their sin because they believe that it's an offense against God. And they believe that it destroys their lives and leads them down a path that they don't want to go down. So if you're struggling with gossiping and you are continuing to speak things that aren't positive about others, and you know, you're upset with yourself when the people leave, you're like, I said I wasn't going to do that. <laughs> You continue to get back online and watch pornography and your roommates leave, even though you've confessed it so many times, or you're perpetually fixed on what other people think about you. Or, you know, you, you just you keep messing around with your boyfriend or your girlfriend, you're like, we said this was the last time we were gonna do this. What do you think about those things? How do you feel about your sin? Do you care about your sin? So this question isn't made to provoke a sense of like, oh, I need to feel guilty about it. I need to be more shameful. No, this is, I have offended my father. He has asked me to do this. And I have not acted accordingly because Christians are concerned with their sin. That doesn't mean that Christians always repent right away, okay? It doesn't even mean that Christians are good at repenting. But what it does mean is that Christians find themselves incompatible with sin. Not that we never sin, but it means we're always striving to not sin. And when we do, we repent by turning to Jesus and receiving his mercy. So here's the encouragement and the application from this last section. Guys, don't get bogged down if you don't have a quiet time in the morning. Don't start questioning if you're really going to heaven because you've had no desire to read your Bible in the past month. Don't wonder if was it actually ever saved because I still have like the same patterns of sin in my life? Don't fix on those things. I'm certainly not advocating not to read your Bible in the morning or to continue in patterns of sin. But what I am saying 
is that those things, doing and not doing things, are not what define you any longer. What defines you is being a child of God. That is what makes you a Christian. Not that you do or don't do things. What makes you a Christian is God calling you his child. And he's done all of that for us by crucifying Jesus. Someone had to pay the penalty for sin. God is not a pushover, and Jesus did. And because of that, God joyfully welcomes us into his presence every day. And that presence is made to purify us. It's made to cast out our old sinful ways. So yes, this takes time, and yes, it's hard, but guys, sins do not any longer define us. Being a child of God is what defines us. That is the word that God has used, child. And so let's all accept that. Let's abide in him. Let's anticipate his return. And let's joyfully obey our heavenly father. Lord, I pray for an increased measure of your spirit to help us to care about what you care about and an increase in our desire to be next to you, and an increase in the hope that we have, what we have to look forward to as Christians. These things, if only we could live these more often, more continually, how much better would our lives be God? How much more glory would we receive? How much more joy would be in our hearts. Lord, we want to live like this. We really want to live like this. It's very, very hard. The minute we forget about it and stop thinking about it, we start doing other things. And so, Lord, I pray for incredible conviction inside of us that reminds us of who we are and we're your children, that we're no longer slaves to sin. Thank you for your so much glory for that, Jesus. We love you. It's in your name.